We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Alan Williams. Of course, I'm here with James DiVirgilio. Checking back in with you guys in the month of February here. We just had the Super Bowl last night. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But before that, James, how are you doing here on this beautiful Florida winter day? I'm doing great. I just came back from a, a summer environment in South America. Uh, nine friends and I were, were, I guess, hiking our way through Patagonia in many different places in Argentina, some places in Chile. It was uh, an awesome, adventurous experience. Epic. And then I returned, of course, to have this adventurous experience on the podcast where each and every month something happens with regards to Gator news that we have to talk about. Uh, so we are here for our annual Feb pod. Looking forward to it. Looking, you know, really enjoying already being back here in the saddle with Alan. Uh, we get so used to spending every week together in the fall uh, here on the pod that, you know, when you go a month without doing so, it kind of feels weird not to be staring at his face directly in front of me <laughs> in the studio. So good to be back there. Yes. As always, if you like this content, if you miss this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for film reviews and become a patron on Patreon where you too can drop us a dono. Shout out in the offseason here to B-Red and Clara the Commissioner who are such a big help during the in-season portion of our show. We're always thankful for you guys. And if you have not yet, join the GNFP Sammy and GNFP Java Discord threads for year-round Gator Sports Chat and GNFP goodness. Of course, you can also pick up our merch. Alan, you'll be happy to know that I was repping the GNFP gear all the way out in Patagonia. And in fact, as our world would have it. No way. We met a guy on the trail. We certainly did on the W Trek named Tony, who had saw some of my other friends that had a Gator shirt on. And he said, wait a minute, you guys went to UF? And he said, yeah. My brother is a huge UF fan and grad and like lives in Gainesville and is obsessed with all things Gators. Come to find out that his brother David is in fact a GNFP listener and uh, largely cut out the rest of Gator media throughout the years to primarily listen to this podcast. So all the way on the trail in Patagonia, wow. we find the GNFP fam. So shout out to you, Tony, and then shout out to you, David, 
That's thanks awesome. for the support and for listening, right? Always a good time, no matter where you are in the world. Gator Nation is truly everywhere. All right, last but not least, we did have a large dono come in from oh. a new donor, Dr. Eyeball. I see ya. It sounds like a Bond villain of yes, some sort indeed. in a simplified version. But Dr. Eyeball's in there and still on the throne is Barry Jenkins presiding over the GNFP Nation. And with that, Alan, let's hit up our dono legends. For sure. James Ridge, Guy Templeson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, The Big Homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bai Boucher, Frank Marshallisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarado, Alan Horn, Sidney Singleton, Kristen Moody, David Sugar, Percy Harvin, Baby, and Doug and Lynn DiVirgilio. Okay, let's talk some Gator news, some ins and outs. There's been some you know, words said by Billy Napier himself. There's been some staffing changes and some non-staffing changes. But it's funny because this used to be a big episode for us. The February, early February, post what, you know, they still call it National Signing Day and there's early signing day. But that's largely not, nothing really going on on National Signing Day anymore. But still a good chance to check in after the dust settles from the kind of January, people moving around, things happening. So let's start with the most recent news this is just from a couple days ago uh our newly hired i don't know what we're actually calling him but our strength new strength and conditioning coach craig fitzgerald who came very highly i think recommended by everybody seemed like uh in in the announcements everybody being excited about it uh was here for about five minutes and then has now taken a job with Bill O'Brien, who's the new coach at BC. These two have been connected for a long time. They've worked together lots of different places. So I uh, I guess he felt like he needed to go hang out with Bill O'Brien some more. But that's a tough one. When you see this as a problem, you bring in a new coach, which, you know, the strength and conditioning coach, I mean, this has become like a cliche over the last decade, is one of the most vital members of your organization this is a really important hire for Billy, and unfortunately, he's gone. Yeah, this was this was a surprise for everyone. He's been a month into the job. People have raved about him, Alan. He had been on paper one of the best hires that Billy had probably made, especially addressing an issue that even players like Princely himself had addressed with getting weaker, perhaps, during the SEC season, not training correctly for the campaign that is ahead. You get a guy who was one of the top in his profession to do it and then to leave he put a statement out there billy's already released his own statement i think they're well aware of how bad this looks for a program that needs to have some good news and of course it's that bill o'brien and him coached together for 10 years they've known each other very well the relationship is deep and he left but you know make no mistake about it alan this is troubling for florida even if it makes perfect sense so to speak boston college is not florida in terms of profile or prestige now i get it i get that if you are a strength guy you can go anywhere he was already in the nfl he can write his ticket probably to most places 
But to be here for a month and then decide you'd rather go to BC with Bill O'Brien and handle that campaign and stay at Florida where, let's say, if you thought Florida was like Alabama, would you leave? I don't know. It raises some questions for me is what I'm saying. Yeah. If these guys are best friends or something and it's like they have this unspoken thing that, hey, they're going to like work together. But yeah, it's, you know, the, the amount of time is kind of strange. Like if he was, if he like announced he was going to take the job and then Bill Brian got the job, and he's like, oh, JK, sorry, I'm going to take this other one. Uh, but to get here and be like doing work, I guess, and then peace out. I mean, I think that that's just a step back for the players too. Because there's somebody else presumably new is going to come in. You kind of have a question mark here about hockey coming back in. I don't think you could bring that guy back in after everything that was said. And just the obvious demotion, saying you're not the guy for this job, and we're gonna like you know quote unquote reassign you or whatever they labeled it. I, I couldn't imagine them reinstating him, so they're gonna have to go and find somebody else, and I think they need to do it pretty quickly. Yeah, they need to. And again, you're are you gonna find a guy of this caliber? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I think in the grand scheme of things. You demoted a guy to like what motivation or speak motivational speaker, which is kind of the joke, whatever role he has now, instead of firing him, which still feels really bizarre. Now you lose the guy you wanted for again, whatever reasons. He was here for a month. It it it's all just not great, is the bottom line. And again, if Florida was Georgia, this is a, a line item we mentioned on the podcast. Now eh, we lost our strength coach, we're gonna pick up another one, some weird stuff happened. The guy wanted to move because of his family and whatever. He's even the best program on planet Earth, and so be it. But we are not the best program on planet Earth, and all of these things keep adding up to like, huh, L L L. So that's curious as we go to podcast today and get that news last night. And of course, again, you lose objectively what is on paper an excellent hire at a spot of need, a spot that Billy himself had highlighted on the Gator Tales podcast just last week, how important it was to have him in there and how they really needed to address and professionalize their strength and conditioning department program, better prepare the players, and then bam, he's gone. So not great timing for that one. All right, let's talk about a few people that did get hired. Uh, So special teams... I guess to use Billy's words, quote unquote, added a layer. So Joe Houston is a new special teams analyst. Chris Couch is still there. But obviously, I mean, I guess they agreed with everybody that they should change that department up a little bit. So I guess, you know, it's unclear who, what exactly is the dynamics of this department, who's actually in charge. There's not an on-field coach, which I think still provides some difficulties in terms of making special teams work on game day, potentially. But they didn't make a hire there. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, Houston, as Napier said, he, he Napier already hired him for one day four years ago, and then he went to work with Belichick, and so he comes back from the Patriots, and now he's there working with Chris Couch. Chris Couch's title is still the coordinator of the, quote, game changers. And to me, this doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed. How, how Chris Couch has a job is unbelievable to me. Uh, really. And I'm not someone who wants to just roll heads to roll heads. And I don't know Chris Couch and I'm not out here trying to take people's livelihoods, but it's safe to say if you're grading at home, the performance of Florida special teams last year, which objectively may have cost it two actual wins. You don't keep the guy who was heading that up, but Florida did that and added a secondary in there. And so, you know, if we're going to try to thread what's happening here together, you clearly now with Billy have, 
I think what a lot of people used to have called the good old boy network, that's that term has kind of died. But now we're going to call it, you know, buddy ball, right? It seems like Billy is highly interested only in hiring his buddies. And generally speaking, that doesn't work. It hasn't worked already. And now he's like tripled down on his buddies. And so we have more buddies on the buddy ball coaching staff. Right, but this is everybody in the country, NFL hires people they previously worked with. Right, which is fine, again. And I think, however, and I don't know this, and I would love one of you to look into this, how many staffs are entirely composed of people that you've already worked with or hired? Because I think Florida's at 100%. No, I mean, and the new guys are not previous hires, right? He's already, what do you, who? He worked with Ron Roberts. He worked with Ron, well, yeah, maybe. Did we not, do we know that? Is there some, I don't know, you know, but either way, the point is we've got a lot of buddy ball going on. Uh, And this is special teams analysis, whatever the case you want to call this, right? Off field, most teams do this. I have no problem that most teams do this. Most teams don't do what Florida did on special teams last year. It has to get better is the bottom line. So this is what's interesting. And I I would love the deeper dive on the like dynamics of how this works. You know, traditionally you'd have somebody on the field too like I guess signaling things you're you're having to rely on some maybe sketchy ways of doing things because you're you're basically trying to sidestep the rule about you know countable coaches by having your special teams coached quote unquote by an analyst which I think is a fine tactic and again a lot of people utilize it but so if it's if there's something wrong with the mechanism, right? It's coach, you know, Chris Couch is fine with everything else. It's just some of the game day things that are out of his control. Then you would think you would want to fix it, but how is everybody else doing it? That would be the question. I, again, I don't know a special teams signals expert, but it doesn't seem that everybody else is having these same problems. No. And that's, yeah, so that's the bottom line. If it's, thing. if we were the only ones doing this, it's like, Hey, you probably need to just have an on-field designated coach and bite the bullet. Cause you know, you tried it and didn't work, but if other people are doing it and it's working, uh, this is something I would, I, I don't know. I don't know how you'd find this out without doing like a, a big uh, research project, but that would be my, those are my question marks around like the higher keeping it kind of the same. So maybe Joe Houston is coming in and he's, de facto the head guy now we'll see they'll get yeah. a chance to show it on the field what does it take to get fired mm. performance wise I, I don't know well two people got fired did they sort of separate ways I mean, we just don't know anything right i mean anyway all i'm saying here is it doesn't to me it's not about we had this last year right it's not about the structure of how you're handling special teams whether it's an analyst or on field coach it's about the result and I think Billy is putting a lot of faith in a guy in couch who presided over one of the worst special team seasons I have ever seen at Florida. That is putting a lot of faith in someone. It feels similar to when we talked about Dan Mullen putting a lot of faith in Grantham. Sure. I mean, potentially this could be this a declining Joe Houston scenario. could be coming and, in. And Joe Houston it. is fine. In fact, Joe Houston has a, a lot better bona fides to me than Chris Couch. If you spent four years working with Belichick, and you maintained your job with him, that is, to me, sure higher level than Chris Couch's resume. But regardless, it has to get better. What I'm saying is Billy, as a leader, is saying, hey, what happened last year, we can fix it. We can keep the same people. We can get it done. I am a huge believer in people, Alan, meaning people get good results. The right people get the right results faster than the wrong people. 
oftentimes it's not just the changing of the structure if you don't change the people. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. The people sure. are the structure most often. And so I have questions about this, but we're going to find out. All right. We talked a little bit about Ron Roberts being hired last time to coach alongside uh, Austin Armstrong. And I think this, I think I said last time, I think this could be a really, I don't know, valuable pairing. If you have a someone who's older, a little more experience, there, there's something that you just can't replicate. And that's, you know, number of years spent on the field. Right. And so that if you're, if that's Austin Armstrong's Achilles heel, that you come into somebody to buttress that. And if they have, if they're willing to work together and their egos aren't going to keep them from being on the same page or, you know, being a power struggle, if everybody's clear about order of operations, I think this could be really helpful. Any, anything else that's come to light over the last month that you wanted to comment on? Well, we just, you know, just to rehash the structure there, this, this can work a lot of, Stars have to align, right? Which you mentioned, same philosophy between both Coach Ham and Roberts. That has to happen. They they largely have that. Uh, Billy had mentioned that Roberts is familiar with quote his way of doing things and can work with Coach Ham. That Austin, as he said, you know Austin Armstrong is excited about working with Roberts. Obviously, Coach Ham was a GA under Roberts, and and you know Billy mentioned that Roberts is one of the best defensive minds in football, and obviously he's really excited about this hire. I think he feels like he really upgraded the defensive staff like this and look on paper it you want to have we've talked about this right if i'm building a staff i want to have the best talent i possibly can around me which is going to include experienced coaches that have that have skill sets and that have strategic minds that i think are valuable uh, and without being behind closed doors you and i can never know how smart these guys are what they think about football we can only look from a distance what's happening and what we know is two things can be true one what you just said can be true Young guy in Coach Ham, who I think has a very bright future. I still think that. Established guy in Roberts, who's already been down the road further, and they've worked together. So option one is they do work together. And this helps Coach Ham adjust to the rigors of being a DC at a major school like UF. Perhaps that reigns him in somewhat up to this game prep or planning or whatever the case may be, right? It's a sharp mind to bounce something off of. And then if you're Roberts, you know, this is what's interesting for me. If you're the more established guy, I can't see how you come to Florida being underneath anyone when you were already the guy at Auburn and they didn't want you to leave. So why would you come here and be under somebody? So it makes a lot more sense to me that this coach DC role is probably, in my opinion, I have no evidence to back this up, just digging through human nature, is going to mean that I think Ron Roberts is de facto going to become Florida's defensive coordinator. And I think Coach Ham is going to become secondary. And I, I know that's not the way the pay scale is right now. I just cannot imagine an established defensive coordinator at another SEC school that is potentially trending up more than Florida taking this job and being equal or under a former GA. It doesn't work in the real world that way. It doesn't make any sense for that to happen. So I think Ron is probably going to have a ton of say and a ton of pull and a ton of power for us as fans, what does that mean? For us as analysts, it means we're probably not going to know all year long who to lay a claim and glory to if things go well and who to lay blame to if they go wrong. I don't think we're going to be able to assess that anymore. Last year we could. This year, I don't know we can. It's going to be tricky to figure it out. We'll try to learn more as the year goes on, but it doesn't really matter, Alan. What matters is what you said. If the defense can get appreciably better and it can do it with the co-defensive coordinator scenario, then great. That is more rare than having a traditional hierarchy, but it can happen. And we're going to hope that it can happen because lastly, both of these guys' backgrounds and their experience with Billy does lead you to believe that this is a scenario where it could 
actually happen. These are not two guys that don't know each other. Right. This this is something that could work. We're going to hope that it does work. Uh, but regardless, I think you and I are both unanimous in that Ron Roberts, despite the four and thirty one being not great, uh, largely is you know and was a very productive defensive coordinator in his time. I don't think he's an all star, but I think it's solid to have two minds are better than one when it comes to strategy, right? You want to have a brain trust of guys. And I think last year, Coach Ham, I think, didn't really have maybe other guys in the room that he felt like he could level with. Now he's got one. So that excuse is out the window. Right. I think we've said this before, but yeah, if they, this was somebody they didn't know, I'd be really dubious about this working well. But if they can go into it, everyone eyes wide open, being very clear about what the accountability structure is going to be, it could be really like I said, valuable for everybody. And there's just certain things you learn as you go as a leader. I mean, Austin Armstrong is young. I mean, there's certain things like even like, how do I want to organize practice and some stuff that doesn't matter about which like play call I'm making on Saturday, but it can be really helpful to get you there. So we'll see. That's all speculative. And two, look, two great teachers are better than one, right? If you could clone yourself, any coach would say, if I could clone myself on one side of the ball, I would do it. I can reach more players. I can go more in depth. And that's the hope behind what Florida's doing. We'll hope it works out that way. All right. Also from Billy's comments and some of the, I guess, positional titles they've rearranged. Seems like they're taking a little bit more of an NFL approach to the front office, like a general manager. I don't know if they've actually given someone that title, but maybe referred to Jacob LaFrance as that, or, you know, kind of rearranging some of the other infrastructure around like, personnel acquisition so uh i think this is a direction a lot of programs are moving and i think it's you know probably the future obviously billy is still the the head guy this is not someone this is someone who reports to billy very clearly not like the nfl model would be the coach and gm you know this is where it gets sticky sometimes like who's really in charge it's helpful to have someone who's really in charge often that is the gm uh sometimes it's the coach but in this infrastructure, we clearly see it's the coach and and the I'm using air quotes again, GM reports to him. Yeah. And you and I have talked a lot about this, even from the beginning, even when NL hit that essentially, you know, my belief is that the free market uh, is going to lead. And again, college sports, college football is not a free market. We've talked about this before. There are things that do not allow it to be free right now, but to the extent it can be, competition is going to get it to the right model as quickly as possible, given the constraints. And that model is absolutely not to have an all-in-control coach who's unproven, like Billy Napier. But it is to have a personnel person who is proven running personnel. I think what Billy means by this is what you just said. This does not mean that you're going to have a GM who's actually choosing which players should be on Florida's team. I think he far more means... He's not going to be doing negotiations or floating monetary numbers or dealing with signing players or the things coaches maybe used to do more. I think that's going to become more NFL where the coach is like, hey, look, I want you to stay on the team. You're going to go talk to Alan. Alan's the guy who's going to be in charge of your contract. You duck with him and have your agent work with him. I think he's talking more about that side of things than he is the actual player personnel side, which you and I just talked about. I firmly believe that just about every school within the next five or six years is going to move almost exclusively to the NFL GM model where there is an absolute scouting department, player personnel department that is largely choosing the players collaboratively with the coach like you would see in the NFL. But the final say is going to reside, right. I think, with those guys. And I don't think – I think we're, we're already there. Yeah, it's I think just what, that what this Florida's is, not there yet. What this is too, I think, yeah, what is the budget that we're working with, which is, again, this fungible in college football – 
And is this player worth the money he's, you know, we would have to spend to acquire him, whether in the portal or in high school, and you're kind of balancing that out and right so that you're, if you're head coach, you don't also have to like carry that around as well. So that, that could be good for everybody. And again, I think you're right that five years from now, 10 years from now, many of these big time college football infrastructures are going to look different than they do currently, but we're kind of in a step-by-step process probably to get ourselves there. Yeah. Transition zone for sure. Okay. Let's talk about some people. Let's talk about some changes that did not happen. So often on this pat on this podcast this last year, I mean, I think you said after the first game that you'd like to see Billy hire an offensive coordinator. That did not happen. Uh, the offensive line coaches have remained the same. Um, that is an interesting outcome. I think I've wavered at times whether I thought that he would hire somebody and it seemed at times like, yeah, he's going to do it. But yeah, that didn't happen. The offensive line obviously was it's underdeveloped and under recruited despite having two coaches there. And Billy is going to maintain the role of play caller. Now there's a lot baked in here now that we've, we've often said, this is Billy, you know, uh, this is one of the areas that he values the most, right? So maybe some of these other things like in the infrastructure with the GM or, you know, he's got some comments about taking care of other areas so he can focus on play calling. He's mentioned some things about Russ Calloway having a little bit more responsibility, you know, kind of rearranging some things in the room. I don't know whether that's a 5% change or a 40% change. We won't know that. Now the offense did improve over the last half of the year. The points per game, the efficiency is better and better and better. I think you made an astute observation is not that whether Billy can do this, it's can he do this on top of everything else. Now, maybe he's freed himself up enough that this becomes better. Um, that remains to be seen. Again, the offense is could be fine next year, could be good. Um, is it aiming at towards being elite? That, that trend line is not currently there. Again, we're going to have another year of data next year but how disappointed were you by the lack of changes on the offensive side of the ball yeah severely disappointed Uh, it does though i think close a circle for me we talk about how like we're going to learn so much at the end of this year and that's why three years tends to be a really good thing is you see how someone thinks and billy's own comments now are taking us in this direction but he clearly made a point to say that defense was a major problem which of course it was a major Mm -hmm. problem uh, but has neglected to mention in any given interview at any given time that the offensive line is abhorrent, disgusting, awful, terrible, below SEC level play, and it's not getting better. And he's committed significant resources there. And that, to me, is a major, major lack of self-awareness and reality and a problem. That is wildly disappointing for both you and I, Alan, The offensive line, the defensive line, those two lines are amongst the most important positions in all of football. Nothing is being done there. The play calling thing closes the circle on something that you and I raised after SEC media days last season. When we played the clip, basically where we heard him say, look, I love play calling. It's my favorite thing about football. We kind of paraphrased it as that. That's what he was saying. And you and I said, and I said, "Uh uh-oh, 
This doesn't seem like a guy to me who's going to ever want to give this up. This is why, in my opinion, he's probably coaching football. This is the most fun thing for him. He's not going to want to give that up. And then we heard the message boards. Tyler Rimmer, who does a great job keeping us informed of all the message board stuff because Alan and I aren't on message boards. We get all the stuff through Tyler. Was pretty confident. Rest the classic. Pat on the back. Take it easy, brothers. Rest assured. Be calm and confident. Hope's on the way. We're going to fix all this stuff. We're getting a new OC. Didn't happen. Maybe we looked into it. Maybe we didn't. I think it's highly likely we never seriously looked into it. And I'll tell you why. Billy's quote at the end of this podcast, very insightful podcast. If you don't listen to it, listen to it on Gator Tales. Uh, everything is built. Quote, everything is built. It's the first time he said that. But I think it's clear that he now feels like structurally, everything you could ever want is done in here. And he feels great which is good. You want your coach to be that way. And look, I want Billy to be right about this stuff and me to be wrong that I look at what he's built and I think I see some weaknesses. If I'm an outside consultant, I have questions. This does not look like a hurricane-proof building or a juggernaut that's about to steamroll SEC opponents, but he feels that way. And I thought the thing I took the most from this was how he was basically saying he was freeing up more of his time so that he could call plays. And look, maybe Billy is going to shock us all and become the world's greatest play caller, but his track record does not indicate that. And that's what we keep coming back to is why is this guy hanging his coaching hat at a power five school on play calling? But he seems to be doing it. This is going to be a ginormous year for him because maybe he turns that corner and I sit here and I hope this is what happens, Alan. Midseason. Hey, man, this is awesome. This dude is shredding it. We're a top 20 offense. We're elite. We can win. Right, This offense, we're going places. We're going to just keep getting better now. If we have top 20 offense, we can win at Florida. We're going to be there. And if that happens, I'll be the first to say it. Because again, my goal is, is, to, is to try to analyze what Florida is going to do and what they can do. But as a fan, we're the same as everyone else. I want Florida to win and I want them to win now. I want Billy to be uber successful. Right, I want him to prove what I'm thinking is, is right wrong. I would way rather be wrong and get this thing turned around now. So I am skeptical I hope certainly I'm wrong about it, but I does close the loop on the fact that we had surmised that play calling was probably the thing he loves the most. And look, it probably is the most fun thing about coaching. He's not giving that up. He's ready, I think, to ride into perhaps his demise with this offensive staff, the way he kept it constructed, which is with no changes. And we're all going to have to hope he's right. That's the kind of key. But that is the answer to the question we raised. He looked around and thought, I'm betting on myself. I'm betting on my two offensive line coaches. I'm betting on what I have. I think I've got what I need now. I think I can turn a corner. And I'm going to prove to everyone that this structure I've built is correct. I don't need a top-level guy. I don't need Chip Kelly, right? Ohio mm-hmm. State in a different position. Here you get Ryan Day, scoring points, doing stuff, struggling. He's like, he feels the heat on him. Major swing Chip Kelly. Billy Napier feels the heat on him. He's bunting. I'm taking myself and all my guys. So different approaches here with two guys that are feeling it for very different reasons, but you can see how different this is. And Florida's approach, Billy's approach, we're going to find out. Yeah, and in some ways, I definitely understand it. Like if this is the key year for you and there's no one you trust to do it better than what you're doing, that wouldn't be a wise move. Now, is your calculus correct there? Is your assessment of what you're doing the offensive line coach is really interesting i mean i think we're correct on this is that both of their contracts were up 
So moving on from them would not have been difficult. I, I'm conflicted about this. I, I want to, you know, if you believe that you have a good plan, sticking with it is often the best path for it. Cause flip flopping or what you're doing every year is not going to lead you to success, right? The, you see teams getting this where they're firing offensive coordinators every year or they're firing, you know, they're changing over the GM department every year in the professional leagues. It's like instability is not the path to success. Now, doing something stupid over and over again is also not the path to success. And the great minds, football minds, are able to decide which one of those is true and which one of them is not. And when you have a long runway, it's good. You have you can allow yourself a little more data and a little more time to figure out what which is the best path forward. And that will ultimately, I think, if you have the right people in place, be the most beneficial. But I'm I'm not confident, right? Well, the results have been middling at best, right? I think there was the the first year. Got decent production from that offensive line. Last year, eesh, not good. And again, they didn't really have the horses to do that. Again, we'll see. And we keep losing guys, which should be mentioned. We're not retaining the guys we have. No, not that you necessarily want to like die on the hill for those guys, but you're hoping. I mean, really the path forward is that the young guys plus the the guys we picked up on in the portal are going to be great. Right. So if you want to, if you want to have some hope that you can improve in portal selection, you know, look at Todd Golden, his first trip through the portal, you know, mixed results at best this time around. Love the guys he took from the portal. Nailed it. And right? he had a number one to his backing. He had the number one, you know, transfer portal class just by composite. So it right. wasn't like he hit a bunch of undiscovered guys. He hit, sure. he hit guys who were respected. And, so maybe a better feel for what we're going to do. Again, that's speculative at best. So I don't know. I, again, we're going to – he's going to get to show it. We're discussing it now in the offseason because it's fun to kind of parse this and speculate. But uh, I don't – he didn't make the moves that were obvious from my end, right? So we talked about this a lot with Dan Mullen. Like you're now, you're now taking on pressure when you do things that – everyone says is I don't know if that's wise, right? Keeping two offensive line coaches. I don't know if that's wise when you've had the production you've had staying as play caller. I don't know if that's wise considering the output that we've had special teams similar, right? Uh, again, it's so short. It's so short. Like it's only been two years. So there's not like you get to iterate on this a million times, but when you're playing in the big leagues, you don't, you don't get a lot. You just have to show that you know how to do it right away. That was a, that was a great segment by you right there. If you missed that, replay that from Alan. <laughs> that was some fire for three minutes. Everything you said was just nailing it. That could have led down branches of more meta conversations, um, including that last one right there. Is you get caught up to the bigs, you don't get 10 years to prove you're a big league hitter. You have to take advantage of the opportunities you have. But one thing I want to hit back on that you and I believe in in our own personal lives so significantly is what you had said. You don't want to tear down structures every year. You don't want to fire people and just wing it and hire new people. But Tony Dungy wrote one of the more impactful chapters in a book I've ever read, uh, just just right to the heart of the matter after he did not win a title with the Bucks. 
and they're examining in the offseason, what do we do? What do we change? And he says, like any good football coach, you put on the table, blow everything up, right? Put in a whole new offense. Put in a whole new defense. Forget the Tampa 2. Like, yeah, we were two plays away, but maybe that's not enough, you know? It's one thing when you're coming from where Tony was with the Bucks, where you almost are winning titles and you're not, right? To where Billy is with Florida, where we're not having a winning season. And that's what makes this so hard is we're in the midst of this rebuild. And no matter where you are on the hopium scale, (laughs) fully maxed out or nothing, the reason why it's really hard for all of us to figure it out is we are not a team that's knocking on the door where you can see the evidence. Say, stick it out, man. Hang in there. What you're doing is right. The ball's going to bounce your way. Tweak a little bit. We are either headed in the right direction. This rebuild is just slower and different than we thought or we're not. But it's not as easy to see if staying with what you are doing is the reason why you're having losing seasons or the reason why you're going to stop having losing seasons. And that's precisely why this is such a hard thing to figure out and why we spent so much time talking about it, looking at it, speculating it. But we know for sure that this is true, Alan, and you said it. Billy is betting on himself. Oftentimes, that's a great thing. It means you have confidence in what you're doing with your plan. You think it is going to work. And you are either the naval captain that goes down with your ship, recognizing Mm -hmm. you've made a grave mistake and you should have done something different, or you are the triumphant hero who comes back into port, having been brilliant with your decisive decision-making. History leaves little room for anything else. You are one or you are the other. And that is why year three is going to be a fascinating year for this Florida football program. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, a few more smaller notes here. Florida sets an SEC record with 75 players on the honor roll, which is pretty cool. <laughs> kind of an odd time, you know, when student athletes may longer may longer may no longer be all that much in the student realm in the future. But I think that's only a positive for the program. If you have guys who are committed and who are doing well, 
with the tasks that they've currently been entrusted, I think that's a real positive. Yeah, you can insert all sorts of jokes here about where Florida is as a school and what matters to them and all these things and student athletes and et cetera. But, you know, those are all obvious and come to mind. Certainly in the perfect world, right? You win on the field and you also have your student athletes who are still students at this point in time yeah. becoming, you know, fully rounded human beings with some with some learned right? Some things they learn in school, some learned behaviors, some learned educational traits, becoming learned men would definitely be desirable. It's something we all desirable, uh, all desire. But when, of course, you're doing this and you're not winning games, then people just sort of look at it with an eye roll of the very predictable. Well, that makes sense. That's why you're not winning games <laughs> because you have too many players on the honor roll. But That's either not, way, they're not mutually exclusive. I don't they think. are not. Either way, that is uh, an SEC record. So good for Florida there. All right. Why don't you handle this next one? All right, so this is not for us because we are not part of the media, which we work hard not to be part of the media, just to maintain our independent as much as we can in objective takes. Objective meaning Alan and I say what we think is right, even though it could be totally wrong. There's no one influencing what we think is right or wrong other than our own minds and brains. Uh, But the staffers seemingly unfollowed a bunch of the traditional Gator media members, and there was some commentary on this. Uh, you know, oftentimes this gets likened to sort of like the last signal fire before your ship sinks, sort of like you kind of close everything else out and shut the outside world out and say, look, all these people that are trying to get us and harm us need to have their voices quenched and we're just going to handle everything in house. I just think generally it's something to note because oftentimes that's not great when that happens, <laughs> you know, Yeah. Um, and it, it did happen. That is not a rumor. That is actually what happened. It does seem like Florida staff has sort of decided that they're not that this it's social media but you know whatever they're no longer so going to be tethered two things to that. one it's you know it could just be like why you're focused on the wrong things basically but two if you've made these choices even if they're going to be controversial they're done now right so blocking out the if you're tempted to read all your criticism i i would say when you're not in evaluation mode, it's probably not helpful. I think it's good to listen to invite like critics and consultants in when you're deciding like, should I do something? Well, let me listen to everybody here. But in the middle of it, when you've already like burned the boats and set the course, the criticism is not going to help you because you're already, you're already pot committed. So in that sense, if it's just going to drag them down and be an anchor on them, I don't mind them doing it at all. Yeah, and I get it. We've said this before in the pod. What are Alan and I, right? I didn't play Division One college football. I didn't play in the NFL. I didn't coach in college. Neither did Alan. And so you get us on here opining about play calling or plays or design or structure. And here you're the guy doing it, getting paid millions to do it. I'm sure you sit at home thinking, these morons that are taking shots <laughs> at me and writing articles should come out here and try to do it. And that's a, certainly a fair critique, right? The, the man in the arena always has a much harder job than the person that stands saying, I would have done this and I would have done that. And that is reality uh, entirely. And, I, and I, I've always understood and thought to myself, you know, what would I feel like if I was doing something and I had a lot of people watching me and critiquing everything I did, but they weren't doing it or perhaps they weren't even trained to do it. I think it would be very easy to start to feel a, a wall between you and them. And the more you lose, the more you'll feel that because the more those voices get to you. But you said something again, really instructive there, Alan, is this has been proven time and time again in just about everything. The commonly held or popular opinion on many things that are unknown. So not things that are like scientifically provable, 
but things that you don't know for sure, gray area things. The wisdom of the crowd is often, in fact, very wise. And that's where you have to be careful not to insulate yourself into your own expert bubble because you are so smart in any profession, anything you're doing, that you miss out on what everyone else thinks could be the right path, again, on a gray area matter, not something that's provable. It is wise to listen to other counsel and often to look at what is the mainline opinion here and why should I deviate from that? Uh, And we've covered a lot of those topics there. So I think that's just another piece of like we talked about sort of maybe where the mentality is of the staff and Florida's program. Uh, and they're certainly in batten down the hatches mode. They're in battle mode. And again, this is a big year. It's a huge year. You can't understate it. He's either going to earn one more year for this, or he's going to end it right here. So everything is on the line as we enter into the spring football season. Okay. Let's talk about recruiting since it was national signing day. Florida does pick up a recruit since the last time that we Put a show together. DeAndre Robinson, defensive tackle, top 300 player from the state of Florida. So this is a guy who had committed to Texas, asked out of his, not his NIL, but his NLI, his national letter of intent, and moves over to the Florida recruiting class, which this is, I think, is a great pickup. It fits the position of need. You always, if you can have a, take a top 300 guy at one of these spots, I think that will always be welcome addition. And it doesn't move the needle too much on Florida's tier placement here uh, in our calculation, but it it is good news for the program. Yeah, good news, especially because we lost some defensive mm-hmm. linemen and tackles, right? So that was important. Florida does finish at that same tier level we already talked about, tier 2.25. We have 19 commits and not 18. Two top 30, five top 100, nine top 300. So a couple short of bumping up into tier two. Basically, you could say that Florida, because of the low volume they took, they wound Uh up being a tier 2.25 instead of a tier 2. The mainline takeaways and what you need to know, obviously, are this. This is the highest rated per player class since Urban. It did not finish as high as it was. We were flying close to the sun at third for the average player rating at the peak. And we finished still in a good place uh, here with our average player rating. Uh, but we finished seventh, which again is, is higher than what has happened previously. Before Napier, we're in the 10 to 15 range in most years. So we did finish seventh. We're fifth in the SEC in average player rating. And that's what hurts you, right? Is you could be seventh overall and play in a different conference and be first or second in your conference, but you're fifth in the SEC. You are splitting hairs to get there, Alan. We've talked about before. So the narrative is Billy, three recruiting classes in, one being very short, has in fact improved Florida's overall recruiting, especially by the average player rating and the tier system. Both systems, there has been an improvement of quality on the football team. We have lost some guys, which we talked about. Some of these guys on the team that we lost were actually talented guys, some starters that were solid. So there's a little bit of movement there. Uh, But overall, when it comes to high school recruiting, the takeaway is it has improved in the macro level, at least with each year to year that we've recruited Right, I know you're asking, well, who's staying from these classes? It has improved beyond the previous trend. It is certainly nowhere near the level that Urban Meyer had set out for it previously. But that is the macro takeaway from our view there. Yeah, and I so the further away I get from this class, the more I like it. You know, I'm looking at our own even tier system, right? Which I I think is a good complement to just the the flat data from the two four seven composite, right? So Miami took like I think like 27 or 28 guys. Right, so their their total cumulative score is going to be much higher than UF's. 
but you're look, you know, again, by our own, this is our system that we created. So whatever you can take it for what you want. All right. So a tier one is two top 30 players, six plus top 100 and 13 plus top 300. I mean, Florida was, was there, there one top 100 player, which, you know, they were very close to signing. It's not like that seems far to reach. And then again, I think if Florida had only signed like 11 top, you know, 300 players just because they didn't want to take in by extra. It's like, fine. You, you did an awesome job at the top end. So the top end of this class is so much better, so much better than the previous top ends. If you're comparing it to like Mullen, McIlwain, two top, I mean, again, you, you can look at different ranking systems, but right. I mean, Lagway is universally like a top 10 player and uh, LJ McCray, some people have him as one of the best players in the entire country. And those are two of the most important positions in football. So great job by keeping those two guys, keeping the other guys in who are in the class. A lot of guys to like in this class. And it remains to be seen how well they perform. But I, I don't think this class is a total failure. It feels especially bad considering where Florida was. Again, I, the relative ranking is not the all that doesn't matter all that much. Again, when you especially when you only take like 19 recruits. So um, I'll, I'm trying to let that like deviate me from what the class really looks like. Again, not where Florida wants to be, but certainly it's a step up, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the baseline of the past, you know, 10, 12, 13 years, it is the best recruiting class we've had. That says a lot about where Florida's been recruiting, and that says a lot about why you can't win you know, titles that way. You can come close to being good teams from time to time, but the talent level has got to increase. All right, before we get to the portal, and we'll look at the portal rankings for Florida and how we did there, as well as incoming and outcoming players, kind of put a macro cap on that, we're going to talk about our good friend Corey Amira. Corey, of course, as all of you know by now, specializes in design-build custom homes. He's a fan of the podcast. And he lives right here in Alachua County. Uh, he builds all different style of homes, country, modern, craftsman, South Florida, etc., etc., etc. He really wants to make it known that there's not a single home he can't build and doesn't build. He's sort of unique for a custom home builder, and he doesn't just build one type or two types of home. He builds them all. And he builds in the Alachua County and surrounding areas, High Springs, Jonesville, Newberry, Fort White, Trenton in that area. So if you need an experienced builder who can deliver what you want, Corey Amira with Amira Custom Homes is definitely your guy. He's a second generation contractor who spent his entire life working in construction and he has the experience to help you execute the right game plan for your custom home. Check out some of his previous custom builds at amiracustomhomes.com. That's amira a m i r a customhomes.com. Alan, why don't you talk uh, talk us through here the portal, what Florida did, how we did. We did have a significant improvement from the last portal update we gave. Yeah. In fact, we almost doubled our ranking compared to where we were. So I think I think the two big names, and one of them is you know will come with an asterisk here. Uh, the first is Asa Turner, safety from Washington. This is a huge need for Florida to have a veteran guy come in. Right, Florida's taken some safeties. It wasn't obvious to me that those guys were an upgrade. At least from this distance, seems like this is a guy who can come in and and really challenge for a starting spot. Yeah, he's played a lot of football, obviously. And Washington's back end wasn't great, but again, Florida has had plenty of struggles. This is a guy who's got a lot of football experience and has played a lot at a high level. Right. And so again, 
if the guy, if the younger guys are better than him, I think that's a good benchmark. Correct. He's an actual benchmark that you should have to beat out. And then Jameer Grimsley, who it's technically in this weird little world that we're in right now, a transfer, although he is a will be a true freshman in the fall, uh, was a part of Alabama's class when Saban retired. They released they didn't release everybody that they made them transfer. So he comes in as a portal player. Um, it was basically down to Florida and Alabama. Then his recruiting, uh, when he had the chance to have a change of heart, came, comes over to Florida, you know, fairly high end cornerback recruit, the guy Florida wanted for a long time. So, I mean, that's again, if he's in that recruiting class, I don't know that bumps them up a little bit in the relative ranking. He's a top 300 guy. Uh, so again, not a guy who's like a top 50 guy, but I think a very talented guy player that Florida was excited to bring into the fold. So if we're going to look about the, the portal as a whole, do you want to give the numbers first? Yeah. Composite wise, Florida finishes 16th overall and then 23rd in average player rating eighth in the sec overall and 10th in the sec average player rating. It should be noted in the transfer portal that, of course, year to year, you're going to get some variance with how many players you take, and that can significantly impact your score. Sure. Once again, I think the average player rating is most important, and Alan, I know you're going to say next, and this is true. So is the fit of what you need from the portal. And so it's not like you're going to see you know, Alabama and Georgia every year at the top of this ranking. You will see them taking very high-quality players. In fact, they did that this year. They're taking higher-quality players than Florida did. Florida needs to, in my opinion, of course, upgrade their player ranking we don't want to be finishing 10th in the sec each year in the portal and average player rating that is not a recipe for success uh, and again i think this is a huge difference you're seeing between florida's basketball program with golden and napier's program already is that golden went into the portal and immediately got the best guys whereas napier has gone in and just kind of towed the line with like these are my guys i like these guys i want them uh, and we're going to see how that plays out and again i think We'll find out what these player ratings. I, I think I have less faith faith in them necessarily uh, as a data point. They're they're less broad than the high school rankings. There's less time with them. I, I don't know the methodology they're using to rate these players. So th- this is a little bit of a snapshot. It shows you that the consensus is that Florida is not. This isn't the best class, right? But we'll see. Um, Again, how this plays out, I think a couple years from now, I think these transfer ratings will probably be a little sharper as well. Yeah, they're going to get better and better at evaluating this. And and this is, again, difficult. Look, even in the NFL, you've probably seen a lot of clips. Merrill Hodge has sort of gone viral in the past couple of weeks for some of his big predictions on certain players. He's been wrong plenty, too. You're going to be wrong in that business all the time. But it doesn't matter how much time you spend. You can't know, right? That's why we like to use composites is they tend to be a little more accurate. It's an index, if you will, rather than one person. But Alan, give me maybe two or three players that are incoming in this transfer portal that you think could be names that are going to be featured next year on the team. Right. So I think the the guys that I mentioned, the offensive lineman, Brandon, Brandon Crenshaw, Dixon from San Diego State, and Devin Manuel, offensive tackle from Arkansas. I think you're going to see these guys, at least one of them probably start. Um, just because we're desperate for an offensive tackle on the right side, or maybe on the left side, if one of them plays better and we can move 
you know, our current left tackle over there. So I think those guys are interesting. The other guys that I would want to mention, Joey Slackman, defensive tackle from Penn, who was very sought after, um, athletic guy. And then the other one is, I think, just a total like wild card, George Gums, edge from Northern Illinois. If I'm not, I think I have this right about him, that he came in and maybe as a wide receiver. Could be totally wrong about that. If I am, let me know. Uh, that's just what's in my brain. And relatively new to playing this position. If he's still a very much an ascending player that you're taking a, a gamble on, then he could be really good for Florida. And maybe that's not this year. So I don't know how much that helps. So those are the guys I would mention. Um, there's some other guys that will hopefully be helpful for the team. Some some depth pieces. But Ace Eterna, as we talked about, could be the other guy. This class, the other side of that, it's dying for another wide receiver. Dying for another wide receiver. And as we look at the incoming portal, you know, kind of entrance, finding a skill position player is the easiest thing, like a running back or a wide receiver. So that's not a bad thing that Florida still needs a wide receiver. Hopefully there'll be some more movement at the end of spring practice that if you can get another starting caliber wide receiver, that would be huge for the program. The guy's not there yet. And again, I like the talent, some of the talent we have in the wide receiver room for Florida, but there's not nearly enough of it. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's, that's continually, you know, very disappointing being in the state of Florida mm-hmm. where we have so much skill position talent to be in this position. All right. Well, that puts a cap on the recruiting and the portal and the coaching news and the structure and the staff and our views to culminate to this. Vegas comes out with a win total for 2024 and it is bing, bing, bing the same as last year. 5.5 which my takeaway from that Alan is functionally it's it's actually more than last year right because Florida's schedule is much harder this upcoming year so they are increasing it in theory but it is still 5 and 5 I'm sorry 5.5 which means essentially Vegas is expecting Florida to have a losing record right you can push the waterline there but it's either 6 and 6 or 5 and 7 <laughs> so not happy times here in the Ville what do you make of this win total does it feel about right to you yeah it feels depressing, but you're right that it it represents an improvement from Florida. Here's the thing that I I, I feel like I want to like galvanize our discourse around this. I think everybody who's a knowledgeable Florida fan knows that this is an insane schedule. So everyone who talks about Billy Napier's future brings up the fact that he's facing an incredibly difficult schedule. So if we all know that, we should be able to contextualize how he does against it. And I think if he beats this over under by, right, so maybe six is not that impressive, but a seven and eight, I think that would be a pretty good mark. Again, depending how you look and where those wins come against, and we don't, some teams are going to be better or worse. So right now it's like, oh, maybe a win versus UCF is impressive, but they go three and nine and they fire. Uh, Gus, and it's like, eh, I don't know if it was that impressive, but right now, I think eight wins would rec- represent just an amazing result. So, five and a half is, is probably about right. Again, it's it's crazy that Florida has a over under a five and a half two years in a row, but that's where we're at. And uh, you know, a lot of people want to give crap to like people who made the schedule, but the thing that we could not have anticipated was. 
the SEC is switching up its scheduling in this year. No, so. you can't possibly see that. And yeah, well said there, Alan. I think eight eight's the number. I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot heading into the season. But eight's the number for me that sticks out. Is like that's the number where you feel pretty confident in most scenarios where your coach is taking a serious step forward. That would mean you probably have a couple of wins versus the top twenty five. You you know you're you're performing pretty well. That's a good that's a good record versus that schedule, and you'd feel confident that he's trending in the right direction. Especially if you're not getting blown out in the like Right, you're competitive. But you know, again, six wins in a lot of worlds, six wins where you're competitive, but things are there. It just tells you essentially that you're probably just with the guy who's gonna be gatekeeper, if you will, right? Or some level that's not where you want it to be. Uh, either way, the style, as always, is what Alan and I focus on the most. You need results, but the style eventually leads to substance, which eventually leads to wins down the road. So this season will be one of the more interesting ones we've ever chronicled because normally it's like, hey, look, 10 wins are bust here. Playoff or bust, you got to pass your three-year test. I think we've already said there's no chance Billy's going to pass his three-year test. You're looking as an AD, as fans, as you know, board members to say, do we hold this guy for one more year or do we pull the plug? And that's what you're looking for is what kind of data gets you past that to confidently say it's worth investing one more year in where we are. And so that is where we are. That tells you Vegas does not think highly of Florida's schedule. It's going to tell you the rest of the country does not think Florida's going to be a good team. And so we will see what Florida actually becomes. It also says they don't think Florida's going to be a terrible team either. No, that's what we're saying, right? So, yeah, not terrible. Like, better. Vegas is telling you that Florida's better than they were last year in their minds. The roster has improved, but it's just too much for them at this point in time to handle. All right, coaching corner. Boy, the 49ers gave us some fodder here. Yeah. Alan, I'm first going to start with the fourth down with ah, maybe 11 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. They're down three in the red zone. It's like fourth down and three. And they elect to go for this fourth down. I know what my thoughts were. We were there together. But your thoughts on going for it when you're down three with 11 minutes left to go for a chip shot field goal on fourth down and three. So this is where they went for it and got it. They did get it. They got it. Yeah, Kittle, nice pass by yeah. Purdy to Kittle for it, the conversion. But you know, what's the mindset of going for this here? It was ballsy in that moment. I mean, I don't know if I would have done it there. The, the much more interesting one was and maybe you can compare these two where it is late in the fourth quarter where they don't go for it and they kick the field goal we're going for it if they pick it up probably seals the game well for you them. could run the clock almost entirely yeah, out and, and then kick, kick the field same field goal. goal yeah um those were really interesting i i don't hate kicking the field goal there to go up, right? If you come over with no points and you leave Patrick Mahomes all that much time, you're basically losing. You're the talking game. about the end of the game. The end of the game. Yeah, yeah. But the one going for it earlier on was I felt like questionable at best. Yeah, I'm going reckless. That was reckless. I like going for it on fourth down. But you're down three. There's 11 minutes left in the game. There's so much time left in this game. You kick a field goal there because if you don't get that in the Super Bowl with one quarter remaining. Pat Mahomes goes down, scores a tutty. You're down two scores, and the game is probably over. And so do you want to bet your entire football season on a fourth down and three when you can just tie the game and and push, right? It's not like your offense is electric and a juggernaut. It's not like Mahomes at that point in time is lighting you up either. So I thought that was just a reckless move EV-wise. Now, it worked out. They scored a touchdown. But the same concept is true. That touchdown did not win them the game, right? So the risk-reward of that was steep to me. Now, missing the extra point after that touchdown Mm. was incredibly costly. 
in that regard. All right, so good point about the last one. We talked about this in real time. Would you have kicked the field goal or would you have gone for it? There is merit behind either one of these decisions, 100%. I would have been extremely tempted, although this is very risky, very risky. to go for this one. But the reason is, is the opposite of why I don't want to go for the one with 11 minutes left. Because if I go for it with two minutes left and they have two timeouts left and I get it, I functionally have won the Super Bowl. Like by all measures, my win rate goes to 99.9% or whatever my kicker's field goal rate is. And it's over. And Mahomes never sees the ball. And I have to account for the fact that I am playing a team with Mahomes, who does this to everyone, right? He has, I think now he's got the stat of being down by double digits in however many games, 11 games in in like postseason or playoff implication games. And he's led him back in 10 of those 11. So you know what you're facing. And, and the field goal is also fine because look, your defense has been playing well. Put all the pressure on them. Get one stop. I like both options. I like both of them. But I will say I would have heavily considered outright winning. The risk there is if you don't get it, Mahomes only needs maybe three passes to get himself into his own field goal range. And then you lose the Super Bowl because you went for it there when you could have put points on the board. So good stuff there. But there's more. We go to overtime. Mm -hmm. The Niners. The Niners, Alan, take the ball first in overtime. Now, the overtime rules are not what they once were. Is there any reason why you would have wanted the ball first in a scenario where you know your opponent also gets the ball? Yes. And I'm going to I'm gonna swerve on you here. I actually, I actually like this. Okay, move. let's go. So, I, again, as you said, the, your opponent gets to match you right now. If you score a touchdown, you put maximal pressure on them. Now, the, you know, the downside of them going second is they know what they need to do. But after each team has had the, their own possession, it becomes sudden death. So then you return and get the hammer again, where you can kick a field goal to win the game, like as in like it used to be with a sudden death overtime. I like having that advantage on the back end. So if, especially here's the thing I think people aren't talking about as well. Um, the 49ers defense seemed a little gassed at the moment, and you're going to run them right back out there. Whereas this way, you put the pressure on the Chiefs. You give your defense a chance to rest. There's some consideration there. So it feels, I know you get a lot of criticism for this, but it feels, this feels closer to like a 50-50 take for me. Those are good thoughts. Those are the right thoughts to articulate on the other side. We always talk about these things being tactical at times. And obviously your defense's actual health and fatigue level is important, right? If you think, hey, I might stop them if I give them five minutes of rest, then of course you're going to do that. Meta Generally speaking, you definitely want the ball second for all the reasons that we saw on the Chiefs drive. On fourth and one, do they elect to go for that if they're the first team to have the ball? Probably not. On their own side of the field? Probably not. But they did it and they got it, right? When it's third down and eight or when it's third down and seven or when it's whatever, are they calling the same play calls if they know they don't have two plays to get it? So I think for me, it's like playing Texas Hold'em. You always want to be the last to act when the blinds are going around because you get to have the most information. If you're on the button, essentially, I can see everyone else's play. And I have, you know, two guys to my left who I have to put money in already. And I get kind of the perfect decision-making scenario, which clears up my play calling. It, it, also, it also does something I think is underrated in sports. The most agonizing thing about sport oftentimes is the decision you could have made. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mental freedom 
for the Chiefs when it's fourth and one and they know they have no choice. They have to go for it. And if they don't get it, they're not going to spend a second of their lives thinking, should we have gone for it? Whereas the Niners, and if you go first, you put yourself in an endless game of what should I do all the time. And I think that clarity alone gives the second player to act, especially in game theory, a tremendous advantage. But I like what you said, Alan, the NFL has a nice little wrinkle to that because they thought about that. And they thought, you know, we're going to create the same problem we created with the Insta score being a win is that everybody's going to want to go second and nobody's ever want to go first. That's a really big disadvantage in something that means so much. So we will give, as you said, the hammer back to the first team. And that's absolutely what they're doing to try to equalize the EV to where you do then have the chance to have the huge advantage if you make it to round two. But again, classic game theory is yeah. in one-round games, you play for the one round. You maximize your EV for the one round. But I like everything you said. I think this was a closer decision because of what you mentioned with the defense. I'm still, if I'm the Niners, I'm still, though, taking it second. I want it second. I want to know what's in front of me. I want to have the chance to put a crazy two-point play that I practiced into winning Super true. Bowl. Yeah. I want to have that knowledge on my team side. Um, either way, they didn't get it. And look, Mahomes was masterful, right, getting it done. And then lastly, in that overtime with Mahomes getting it done, the 49ers defense. Oh, you're calling this out as it was happening. As it's happening. Couldn't believe it. They roll up on fourth and one, and I'm saying, what are they going to do? And those jokers line up in two deep. It's fourth and one for the whole Super Bowl. Look, I get it. I get it. I, I understand what Matt Stafford did, and that was probably in their minds, right, when mm-hmm. Cooper Cup cooked the Bucks and just broke them. I understand that. I get that. But, man... It's fourth and one. And if you're Mahomes, you line up and go, you've got to be kidding me. They have two guys 16 yards off the ball. They basically just gave the Chiefs, in all reality, an easy first down. This is your life on the line. This is a chance to win a Super Bowl. Fourth and one is not automatic. In the regular season, the Niners would have died on the hill to get the stop there. But they didn't want to be the guy who loses the Super Bowl with some sort of go route from, by the way, who are you afraid of running a go route on you on the Chiefs? Regardless, though, I... Couldn't believe it. And then it didn't end there either. Third and long, they dropped five guys behind the first down line. So much so that, of course, you saw Tony Romo begin to talk about this. Yeah. Hey, look at all these guys here. They're playing a lot of guys back here. They're kind of playing pretty soft. Oh, man, that would have really wrecked me as a Niners fan. If I'm a coach, if I'm a player on the field, I got to be openly wondering, what are we doing? The Niners prided themselves on defense. I know Greenlaw, their best linebacker, was out, but I mean, man, the game's on the line here. You can't be, you can't be walking yourself nine yards off and giving them first down. So, I thought the Niners gave us a coaching corner. You know, again, all of these things to think about and talk about, and we'll be chewing on that all offseason. Shanahan now has had double-digit leads in three Super Bowls and blown them all, which is rough. A lot of bad luck went against the Niners in this game, ball bouncing off guys' legs, yeah. etc. But. A lot of good stuff here coaching-wise, and I think it illustrates the beauty of why you and I love this game and why a lot of you love this game, is that the Niners walk up there on 4th and 1, and they sell out to stop it, and the Chiefs hit him with some play-action pass or just a cover zero over the top beater for a touchdown, then everyone murders them yep. for being reckless. And that's why the sport is amazing, is you can't you can't just be right. You have to take a chance and hope that you execute correctly. Uh, but for the Niners' sake, they kind of just were unable to ever make that finishing play or that big play. And and for that reason, Mahomes and the Chiefs get it done again. And, I mean, he's clearly hunting down Tom Brady, right? I mean, he wins the Super Bowl in the moment. And the first thing he's talking about is how they're coming for more. And he's serious about it. So, Well, I think, I mean, they're set up to 
to still be moving forward. Yeah, this is I'm not just, a great Chiefs team, especially no. on offense. Not at all. Yeah, the defense the was of, fantastic, but the offense, not if great. If you're the rest of the league, you got to be wondering when are you going to take this guy. This is the most vulnerable Chiefs team by far. By far. So, you know, they made the move to trade Tiger Hill. And their offense certainly suffered, but they won two Super Bowls. Their defense is fire. Yeah, so yeah. I think the defense, you know, they don't have that many free agents either. Obviously, Chris Jones is a big one, but and LeJerry Sneed, I think they'll at least get one of those guys back, hopefully. And then I think they'll be able to do some things and, you know, draft a wide receiver, pick up another one in free agency where I would assume that they're going to be better on offense next year. They should be better, yeah. And obviously, Kelsey is declining, and they don't, they're going to have to figure that out, but or adjust the way they play when he's gone. But yeah, if their defense takes a step back, the offense can take a step forward. And I think they're, they're still, yeah, they're right there. Probably better off just auto betting them right now. So, and here's the thing with the 49ers. I love Brock Purdy. I'm a fan of, of Shanahan. You know, this in these very small, like, uh, numbers, like, you don't have a lot of data, like in these kind of big game scenarios, it just happens like, you know, he's going to get the rep as he can't win it. But I mean, that is about as close as you can possibly be. He had some wonky things happen. So I can't kill him at all for this. You know, I, I can't even really criticize. Him. They, I think you see the measure of a great coach who has his team in the conference finals or in the Super Bowl almost every year. And this is, you know, if you want to look at the other side, this is Andy Reid. Andy Reid used to be a guy that you like had that same reputation and now he's won three Super Bowls in very short orders. And he becomes like one of the greatest coaches of all time. And Shanahan's really young. He's way younger than Andy Reid was when he moved to Kansas City. So That's well said. I yeah. think Kyle Shanahan will go down as like one of the best coaches in NFL history. He'll eventually get there. You can't if you come that close over and over and over again. Unless you're the Bills. Unless you're in the nineties. Well he may he's probably starting to feel like that yeah. at this point. But all time great game. I mean, entertaining. Like obviously, it wasn't you know it wasn't the offensive, flashy, big play type game. But I mean, the competitiveness of that game was tight the whole time. Every play mattered, right down until the end. A couple fun facts for you to close the Super Bowl one. Mahomes becomes the first max contract quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl in the modern contract era. Okay, that's big time, yeah. big time. And number two, a stat that blew my mind. I read this today before the pod, and I still honestly can't believe it. Uh, but it came from a reliable source, so it's it's got to be legit. Alabama has put more players in the NFL than anyone. And what I'm about to tell you is going to make no sense. I, again, not a single Alabama player that has graduated, this is the key, from Alabama, left from the school, left the college, has scored a point in the Super Bowl. Not one. That's kind of wild. That's the craziest thing I've heard in 2024. How is that even possible? They have the most players in the NFL right now. Not a single one of them has scored a point in the Super Bowl. Well, most of them are on defense. So I guess that's why. I don't know what to make of that. That's wild. That's wild. There you go. Receivers into the. That's dude. That's crazy. Well. It's crazy. I mean, I can't. It's crazy. So there you go. All right. That's that's a fun little note in the Super Bowl there. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed your unofficial American holiday. Let's talk a little basketball before we close. This is a fun segment. We've been, every time we kind of touch on this, it's a little up or a little down. Right now we're riding a little bit high. Won five of six. Most recently, a really momentous 
you know, home win against Auburn, who's a you know top 15 team. And the arrow seems to be very much pointing up for Todd Golden, the Todd Golden era overall, but this iteration of the of the Gators. Yeah, 100%. Look, you guys know I've been high on this team uh, in general, what their ceiling could be. This has been a great run that Florida's on. The schedule opens up for them in a lot of regards here. We're going to see how they finish, but let me give you some stats. One on Golden himself. He's the second fastest Florida coach to win four games versus ranked opponents. He did it twice as fast as Billy did. It's the first time in 50 years a Florida coach has beaten four ranked opponents as quickly as he has to start their career. Uh, on Ken Palm, a site that I absolutely love and adore for advanced basketball analytics, Florida's 26th overall. They are 12th on adjusted offense, and they're doing that versus the 18th hardest defense schedule-wise, right? So that means their offense is fantastic versus a solid set of defenses. On defense, we are 69th on adjusted D. What does this mean, Alan, as a, as a decade-long follower of Ken Palm, someone who uses it extensively in our March Madness competitions? A team like Florida right here, with this favorable week we have here, LSU at home, on the road, Georgia. We face Bama twice, right? We've still got some tough games remaining, but a favorable lot of twice. winnable games. This is a team to me that if they can hit the high side, can become as high potentially as a five seed if they can finish 22-23 wins. But most importantly, with those advanced analytics, this is the type of team that can make a Final Four with those stats. Factor in rebounding, adjusted O, the schedule we play, the toughness. Like This is a team that I can assure you, if they make the tournament with any kind of meter still going up, no team is going to want to play this Florida team in a one-and-done scenario. And that's precisely why they're so much fun to watch. Is oftentimes in your teams like Florida is this year record-wise and loss-wise in some scenarios, you sort of just know you're middling and you're stuck. That is not this team. There's an electricity about them. There's a feel about them. I think they believe they're putting it together. Four of our losses, we had double-digit leads against those teams. There's a lot to love here. I think the golden era is, is right now trending up in general. I think you're seeing what you'd want to see in year two from a coach. Big question mark, of course, is still high school recruiting. We've talked about this before. Right now, Florida's 79th in the upcoming year. But Golden swung big for a bunch of five stars last time. Had him on campus. The most we've had in many years. Couldn't get him. But can he begin to get them if you start putting out this kind of production? The arena filling up. The students brought the fire this last game, Alan. I talked about in our thread. They were turning hundreds of students away from this game, which I wish they wouldn't. I actually texted Scott and said, Scott, hey, man, this is awesome. It's the first time I've seen the student section full like this, but their students being turned away. Give them more seats in the arena, man. Put them back down like they used to. But like, there's a buzz building yeah. right now. And I'm excited. I love Florida basketball. I'm fired up. I'm willing to crash hard down if it U-turns against us. But I'm in. I'm in right now. I'm feeling it. It's fun to have this team. Uh, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing. And I'm hopeful that this could be a team that we talk about here in March making some noise. So a team that will score in the 80s almost every time is a team that will be trouble for anybody. And then you said this last night, the rebounding really insulates you from a lot of negative outcomes. And so some of the Achilles heel of this team early on, free throws, obviously abysmal. That's improved a little bit. Defense has improved. And that was kind of my hope is, you know, it sounded like a lot of wishful thinking. This team scoring this rate then defensively maybe they can put it together a little bit more. Those freshman bigs get a little more cohesive. And that's happened for the most part. 
Now, they could still give up a ton of points. <laughs> they're not a defensive juggernaut. But I think, as you said, the schedule is a little more favorable. If they can split these games against Alabama, if they can pick up one of these wins against Georgia or South Carolina on the road, and then they need to win the obvious games, the LSU, the two Vandy games, right? The don't stub their toe. Yeah, you can't have that. That Then right. you're going to start to say, man, this team's too inconsistent. But. All right. But yes, I mean, the, currently some metrics Florida's either just barely in or just barely out. Which is, yeah, which is crazy to me. But again, I think it's not going to matter. I think if they have the February, I think they're going to have. They're going to be solidly in. And I think you're going to see them as a team that is one of those teams like this is a dark horse team. This mm. team will blow up. your. This team can go the distance. And you're already seeing it. There are some prognosticators already putting Florida Sweet 16 runs and further. But imagine what's going to happen if they can complete this February run. I think they're going to be one of the the sexier kind of outside teams, if you will. They got to do it, but I think they can. Not right. saying it's, they will. Well, that would but be the I most logical outcome. Correct. Right. I think they can. That would be the most likely outcome is that they maybe drop one of those games I mentioned, like you yeah. know that either the LSU or one of the Vanderbilt games or the Georgia game that where they probably should win. Now the Georgia game's on the road. Yep. Winning on the road is tough. Always very different. But, yep. Uh, yeah, I like their chances in all these games. And yeah, if you, especially if you, I mean, you're playing South Carolina, you're playing Alabama twice. That Those are three chances for a really good win. Yeah, for sure. And the SEC has been zany this year. Generally, the road teams have really suffered. I mean, you know, on Wednesday night, Auburn beat Alabama at Auburn, where they're it, it, basically unbeatable yeah. at Auburn. And then teams go on the road and they get murdered. And so for Florida, they had a really nice showing versus a bad A&M team until the last well, 10 minutes. It's not a bad a This is an A&M team that might be yeah. a 7 seed, though. Could be, right? But like regardless, like we're, we're putting it on them and then didn't answer the bell. But if they had, that's 6 of 6 in the SEC where other teams are, are really struggling to be consistent. So I am painting this picture as rosy as possible because if you have not been paying attention, pay attention. And uh, hopefully you'll be rewarded with what I think is a really fun basketball team. And I think a coach who is, you're, wa- you're watching it. If you go to the games, you're watching it happen in the arena. It is a rolling building buzz. And Golden is absolutely responsible for that. He fires the crowd up. The players are into it. It's a style of play. He's a guy who gets it. He gets it. Whether or not he makes it or not at Florida, you can tell that he he understands, I think, what it takes to build something at Florida. And uh, he's doing it right now. So hopefully... We get the good side of variance here and enjoy a really fun February and March with this basketball team. Yeah, and a couple guys I really love, Zion Pullen and Clayton. I mean, the team is really oriented around them, and that has kind of unlocked them. So, again, when you have this many new pieces, you kind of have to figure it out. But with those two guys leading the way, they've just been nails last yeah fantastic and if kugel happens to have a good cool game where he drops 20 this team is is incredibly right. dangerous but you're not relying on him to be the guy who's way too inconsistent correct for that role oh yeah he's way too inconsistent. properly slotted in where he can be a boomer best guy and you won't yeah really depend on no him. that's key and it's unfortunate because we expected more from him but it's nice that he started to accept this role and the team chemistry seems really high all right i'll put the put to bed this pod other items, of course, we have our March mailbag segment coming up next in March. So we will ask you for your questions closer to that time. We'll answer everything you have, update everything going on there. And then spring football is right around the corner in April. Where we will, of course, cover that as well. Any other items from you, Alan? No. Well, it's been great being back with you. We certainly hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, enjoy the rest of your February. Until next time, 